and thank you, Zavia, for that very kind introduction. Um, so um, I just just a couple of things before I start. Um, this this project is, um, is has, has been going for um, two and a half years now. Um, this article is is one of two articles that's coming sort of just going to be based on the project and I've just started to write it so it's very much in draft form and anything that you say any comments you have any questions you have will be incredibly useful for me um, to 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 improve it to to develop it further um, particularly the argument is still in you know very much in in, in the process of being formed um, and so you know I'm, I'm, I'm really particularly going to welcome methodological and sort of questions about the argument um, and of course the details. Um, the other thing I should say is that although South Asians play an important part in this, um, and you know, I'm aware there's a South Asia intellectual history seminar, but there are kind of other elements in it as well. Um, but I hope that on the whole, this will be sort of interesting. But I should also say that I'm not an expert in South Asian intellectual history in any way. And I'm very aware that there are some very important and you know, very, very, um, um, highly thought of experts in this in, in this um, on this seminar. So I hope they could forgive um, any mistakes I make or any 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 uh, anything I don't kind of really present in the way that it should be uh, about South Asian intellectual history. Um, and and the only other thing I need to say is that I both my my human son and my cat are are in the house and may potentially interrupt. Um, and I hope they won't, but just in case they do, just do apologize in advance. Okay. So this is a page from uh, the minutes of uh, the debating society of St. John's College. And I'm, I've, I've kind of taken a photograph of it so that while I talk, you can have a look at it. I'm gonna be starting by talking about this particular debate. Um, this debate uh, was held in 1910. Um, and I, I selected it as a kind of starting point. You'll also see it on the, on the website if you look um, at the work that we've been doing. Um, because I thought that this is a really, um, this debate really kind of brings together many of the questions I'm trying to ask in this paper, um, which are really about um, what happens in this kind of intellectual context. Um, how are these people interacting with each other? Um, and what does it mean for the history of empire and for the history of colonialism, for the, particularly for the, for the kind of intellectual history of empire, that this sort of conversation is going on where there is, an, there is a kind of assumption of, of equality and of, um, of, of a kind of um, openness to, to opinions and ideas, which obviously we know is totally at odds with what is actually happening in the outside world. And so um, part of the kind of question here is really to understand what does this kind of space mean? And what does this kind of conversation mean for, uh, uh, for understanding a, 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 an institutional history of empire? So what, you know, Oxford's interconnection with empire, um, what does it mean? Um, so, um, I'll get I'll get back to that point later on, but let's just start with this debate. So here's this debate. On a Monday evening after dinner in November 1910, a group of young men met in the junior common room at St. John's College, Oxford, for the weekly meeting of the St. John's College Debating Society. They drank coffee, they smoked tobacco, provided through a subscription fee, paid to the society by members. They exchanged jokes and banter and discussed private business. Those are internal matters concerning the society's rules and requirements. Um, and then together they performed the, the informal and formal rituals of language and action that made the homosocial space of the debating society um, 
that then made it up, a space which, like those produced by college sports and teamsmanship, were adjunct to the business of degrees, examinations, and so on, and yet were as, if not more, essential to a fully realized and fully experienced membership of college and university life. At 8.30 p.m., the meeting proceeded to public business, reasons for associating, the, and the pre-announced debate of the evening. Um, and the debate was, in this case, that this house considers radical tendencies in the treatment of India and Egypt opposed to the best interests of the countries concerned. Now, in this meeting, um, you will see that there's an opener who speaks, is a man called Mr. Barrow, who later very sadly died in, in the First World War. Um, and then the opposer um, was an Egyptian called Abdel Khafar. Now, Abdel Khafar, uh, this was his first year at St, at St. John's. Um, and he was he came from a landowning family in Egypt and he went back to becoming uh, to, to become a, a, a minister for agriculture and the interior. It's really hard to find information on him. Um, but the only reason I know this is that uh, there was there's a through, you know, the Internet and through looking at things and, and also. And the, the, so there's a there's a list that's made that that was printed at some point in some paper on. Um, which where, where the information is not it's not clear what paper it was, but it's a contemporary paper from that time, which suggests that he was on that in that ministry. But more importantly, there's a uh, in the India office records, no, the colonial office records. Sorry, there's a there's a record of a, of a dispatch that was sent in the 1940s um, that described all these different ministers uh, and different sort of political figures in the uh, in the Egyptian government and described uh, Abdel Khafar. Um, as as a minister for 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 the for agriculture and the interior, and as being um, very, um, uh, he's described as being um, very a very fiery speaker, um, and impulsive, um, in and um, slightly unbalanced. Which of course we must remember that this is a this is a this is a, you know, this is a very um common kind of representation of of people eastern people in western dispatches of this kind where they're, they're described as being emotional or over the top um so he's described as being emotional but in the british cause which of course is not what he's arguing in this particular debate and so one of the things about the debating society is that and and i want to i want to kind of put this out even as i start to speak about this one of the things about it is that what people say is not necessarily what they think because it's a debating society. This is a, it's a performative, um, it, this is a performative speech and it is, it is spoken and presented within a context that is very particular where rhetoric um, and, um, and performance are, um, are vital to, to the context. And people understand that, people understand that people are taking positions that they may or may not actually believe in. Although with Hafer, um, if you look at the, the range of debates that he does participate in, it seems very clear that he has very strong anti-imperial views. Whether these views are views that he actually holds or not, and whether they change over time, that's another of those, of those sorts of questions about what it means to have these young men who are from the empire and who go back into, um, into, into parts of the British Empire, not always back to where they came from. Um, and what the debating society and St. John's role in that development and that intellectual development in particular, um, what that is and um, what that actually constitutes. So 
here we have Abdel Ghaffar and he talks about Egypt and he speaks about Egypt, his native country. He denies that any Englishman can look at Egypt in an unbiased way. He defends neither liberals nor conservatives, but his own cause. He says that they rely um, on the English nation as a whole, not English politics, um, and that the English uh, occupation has brought no better conditions with it. And then we have a description of what Kafir is saying um, and, the, and the, the description of the, the, the form and not just the content of the, of the speech by the man who's writing this, who happens to be an Englishman called Lambert, who was later actually president of the, um, he, was, he was a civil servant in England, but he was also a, the president of the Society for Psychical Research, which is another very interesting, uh, has very interesting connections with, uh, with, with colonialism, but we won't go into that now. So what we have to remember again is that what we're reading is a speech of a person who may or may not hold those views that is being reported to us by somebody else who is listening to that speech and who has their own position um, and particularly their own, um, their own role within the, the society, which is in this case, being the president of the debating society and being the person who's recording it, G.W. Lambert at the end of it. So this debate continues and then um, after Gaffer, there is a speech by Mr. Narayana of India, who um, is also appears to come from a landowning class in India, but he has a much more um, a much more kind of moderate view on imperialism. And where he, and he says he spoke third in, in 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 support of the opener, not in support of the Gaffer. And he says he finds it difficult to fall in with many of um, of the openers. Uh, uh, comments and points, but, and he says he deplores the fact that English Englishman of today doesn't um, mix with Indians, but he says that there are two parties in India, the moderate nationalists and the advanced nationalists, and he considers that India doesn't want to be separate from England. So this is a very different point of view from Garfo. Then the debate continues further, and at the end of it, you have um, a result which is voted for 23 and against 19. That's quite a close debate. That's quite a close result for the St. John's Society at this point. St. John's is uh, a fairly conservative college in terms of the way in which um, it speaks about and debates empire. It's quite different from colleges like Balio, where there are kind of more radical points of view being presented even at this stage. Um, and so this is this is an unusual um, this is an unusual result. And whether that again, whether that is to do with Kaffer's eloquence or whether it's to do with the physical presence of people from the empire whose countries are being discussed and whether that makes makes a difference to the to the fact that you have people um, participating in the debate young men from St John's um, who are sharing that physical space with embodied representations of empire other young men who are supposed to be their fellow students and their fellow members of the debating society does that affect, impede, um, change in any way or influence the way in which they vote or the way in which they, um, they engage with each other in this discussion? Um, Lambert is also very, very um, um, positive about the way in which Ghaffa speaks. And we can see that it says here, um, I mean, you can probably see this, but I'll just read it. The, he says that, he shows clearly. He sh showed clearly that he has. Uh, he had a thorough 
and undisputed knowledge of the subject, this was a really stirring speech and was delivered with a feeling and enthusiasm of one who has his views firmly rooted in the depth of his heart and wishes others to look at the position from the same point of view. So whether the, the quality of the speech, the eloquence involved um, affected the result or not, um, it certainly affected Lambert. And so we, so this, this was, so this was a moment that, that is in 1910 that this discussion takes place. And over the course of uh, Garfer's career at St. John's, he continues to have several, um, he continues to take part in several debates which are about imperialism, um, including, for example, Italy's role in East Africa, um, the erosion of Ottoman powers by European imperial ambitions. Um, and he's very, very um, anti-European imperialism. He's quite pro-Ottoman sort of ideas, but he's also, he also takes part, Kaffer is quite an active uh, participant. He also takes part in debates about other things that are internal to British politics, including um, uh, questions about land reform and social reform that are taking place at this time. And Kaffer's view on these are quite, um, well, they're very much the view of a landowner whichever country it comes from. So they are views that um, in terms of class are quite conservative, although in terms of, uh, or at least they, they're quite, they, they, they favor the landowning class, they favor the status quo. Whereas in questions of imperialism, um, they don't favor the status quo. So the other thing that I want to try to bring out in, these, in this, this kind of analysis that I'm trying to do of the debating society's minutes is what are the intersections bet between class and race? And I'll get to this in a minute, uh, well, in, in, a in a bit later in the paper of gender. So what, what does it matter? What, what do positions, positions of gender, race and, and class have to do with each other? Um, and how do they intersect with each other? And how, they, how do they influence each other? So this is a photograph which shows Guy William Lambert. Here's the man who's uh, been extremely poetic about um, about our man Kaffer. So the point of this article is that it's taking the minutes of the debating society as a historical record of the college and the university as a place of empire, where the empire is present in intellectual form, which is the kind of in the way that I've described as a, as a constellation of ideas and arguments in embodied form um, in, the, in, the, in the presence of these people who are interacting with each other physically. Um, and, and then, it also, it's also present in the form of, um, of the, the, the commodities that are being consumed. I mean, in a, perhaps in a, in, a more, in a more minor sense, but the coffee and the tobacco that they're, that they're drinking and smoking also comes from the empire. And quite a lot, a lot of the private business and the discussions that take place over private business are about the cost of coffee uh, and the importance of the tobacco or, the, or the, the kind of tobacco that's being used. So this is, the, they're, they're very vital to um, the society's sort of meetings. And they also clearly create, they, they help to create the atmosphere of conviv conviviality. Um, they contribute to the atmosphere that enables this kind of interaction. So they're not, they're not, just, um, they're not just additional um, extraneous elements. They, they're kind of integrated into the way in which these people are interacting with each other. Um, there is a further way in which the empire is present here, and that is in potentia. That is, um, it's present in the potential of these young men 
to enter into um, jobs in uh, in well in colonial uh, and in, in the colonial and civil service, which they do, um, and to use St. John's as a kind of um, as a kind of a passageway, uh, a, a, a locus from which to th through which to have access to the rest of the empire. And you do have cases of not only people going back and getting positions, obviously, in the civil service or the colonial service in their own countries. Um, so you have lots of people, for example, from India who go back to the forestry service because St. John's has um, um, the, the forestry department is actually situated quite close to St. John's. And so you have a lot of people from India and then later on from Nigeria. But you also have people who use um, their time at Oxford as a way to get to a different part of the empire. Um, so, for example, um, there is a, a Sri Lankan called Saravanamuttu in 1919, who ends up um, as a journalist in Penang, um, and he ends up getting a job as a journalist in Penang. So uh, you also have um, somebody I'm going to speak of in a minute, um, a man called Jaipal Singh, who ends up working um, in what was then known as, as the Gold Coast um, at, in, in Achimota and as a um, in again in the in the colonial educational service so it's a kind of waypoint a point in between um, that enables these sorts of intersections and and crossovers so the question is who could participate in these rituals of interaction and why and how and one of the things that i'm trying to argue is that um is that the is that the by the nature of the debating society and the particular form of social of sociability it produces and fosters, the debating society and other similar societies are more enabled, uh, amenable to certain kinds of diversity than to others. Specifically, that it may have been easier for men of other races and cultures to access the space and its rituals of conduct, and that it was more accessible to men of other races than to women. And I'll, I'll as I said, I'll get to that um, towards the end of this paper. It may also have been more accessible to men of certain classes, whatever their race. And this is harder to define because one of the problems is that the students who come from, from so St. John's, okay. So first of all, St. John's is not, um, is not one of the elite colleges, not one of the colleges that has a, a, a lot of students who come from um, sort of the, the, um, Feudal, well, they come from feudal classes, but they don't um, they don't come from from uh, nobility, if you like. They're, they're, ma they're mainly merchants. They come from merchant families because um, it's founded by a merchant tailor called Thomas White. And a very large part of its fellowship is reserved for people from the merchant tailor school who come from merchant backgrounds. And so it's really quite a bourgeois college. So they're, they're gentlemen's sons. They own land, but they're not in the aristocracy or the nobility. So that's that's the kind of background, but they're more or less uniform. They're they're and, and they're they're pretty uniform in because of because they because most of them come from certain schools. They're not just uniform in terms of the, the kind of class they come from, but also the parts of the country they come from. Um, they're mostly English, and there are when there are Irish or Welsh or Scottish or Scotsmen um, involved, particularly in the debating society, it's made very clear in the way in which they interact with each other um, that they that they're a bit distinct. But I think that one of the things that, that happens when you start having people from the empire is that it's harder to, it's harder to 
perhaps um, fit them into pre-existing categories. And it may be easier for them to slip under the radar and be incorporated into a space, um, into the space rather, you know, th than men who um, are more easily identifiable as being of a different class of it or of a different background. Their very geographical distance may have made them uh, less categorizable. Um, <coughs> it's also true that that um, the men who come from the empire, from Britain's formal or informal empire, such as Kafar, come. Some of them come from landowning or wealthy classes. Others um, have scholarships, and they come from fairly indigent backgrounds. It's also possible that the and places places like the debating society act as a kind of a form of transmutation that it it through the rituals through the membership of that society through the rituals that are performed which are as i said quite homosocial in their in their uh in their form um that that becomes a kind of rite of passage to access and be able to access the college and its membership um so analyzing this text of the one debate reflects the significance of this material as a source for historical research um, in, uh, on empire and colonialism, but taking a broader view also elucidates an extended density of connected and intersecting elements, fostering a richer comprehension of race and empire. But it means paying attention to both the form and the content of the debates. What is debated? Who is debating in which position? What are their histories and future trajectories? What arguments are used? And what are the exchanges and actions around the debate, both at the time and later on? It's all, of course, we, we can't forget that the debating society and Oxford's space, place in the empire makes debating in Oxford um, something that's of particular significance because um, debating in Oxford, for, for particularly for, for young men um, from uh, Britain and England, is a, a kind of um, training ground for the political careers um, in Westminster um, in Parliament. So, and that is known to the young men who are participating in it. And so when they are presenting their speeches, there is an awareness of um, the, uh, the act of speaking being a means of um, accessing future careers and not just the particular social space that they're able to integrate themselves into. And that is also true of people from the empire, as we will see in a minute, that it may also enable those who came from elsewhere to be able to, um, to go back and access careers, particularly in, uh, in public service, in law, um, in, uh, in, in politics, um, through their practice, but also possibly through the connections they're making while they're in the debating society. This is, a, this is an aspect that I haven't been able to do enough research on yet. But when Garfer, for example, is at, at St. John's, um, soon after, around the time that he's there, um, Alexander Keown Boyd, who was um, quite important in the British administration in Egypt, um, is there just before Garfer. And it's, in, it would be, it's interesting to think about whether or not they encounter each other uh, when they're in Cairo or whether they don't and what that means, whether it means anything that they have previously been both at St. John's um, and members of, debating, of the debating society. 
um, whether that has an effect on uh, on their their interaction or not, um, and whether it has an effect on their political persuasions or not. Um, in the case of Kafa, for example, um, I think it's also important to recognise that therefore that 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 the young men who are speaking and who are presenting their voices in the debating society um, are maybe self-conscious, self-consciously aware of public roles they may play in the future, and that what they're leaving is a trace of themselves um, that can be picked up in the future. Because these minutes are, it's not that they're expecting historians to read it, but they do, but, but they are records of the debating society that will be read at least by future members of the debating society. And so it's a, it's a chance to incorporate their voices into um, a record um, which where they're going to be visible to posterity and to a to a future, and it's a presence that denied. That's it's a kind of presence that's denied, but to them by by many forms of colonial record, where you don't get to have people writing their own voices, or you don't get to really get a, a sort of direct uh, um, transcription of speech. Where here there does seem to be direct transcriptions, and this is becomes even more so when you start having. Um, I'll get to how they are in a second. When you start having um, precedents who are from, so in this case, Kafir is not a precedent. He never writes his own record. But in the future, there are people who, or, or sorry, actually even before him, there are people who come from the empire who then become presidents of the debating society um, and or vice presidents, and then they lead their own record. And so you actually have, and, and in that record, just like here, um, you get to hear their opinions on what is being said, but you also get to get you get to get to see the language that they use, which is um, often which often uses forms of um, form well literary tropes, um, forms of exaggeration, burlesque, comedy, irony, um, um, very graphic, you know, uh, or um, graphic representations of what's going on, and so they're um, they're leaving their own sort of their own. Um, a sense of their, their, their presence and not just their, their voice and their presence and their perspectives within this record. Um, and that's, that's, also, that's also something to remember when you look at this record um, of all of these different elements coming together. So I'm going to we're, move on. Sorry. Sorry, we're, we're about halfway through. Just Brilliant. So I'm going to move on because I've tried to give you this part of it, I'm sorry, it's quite um, it's quite vague still because I'm really trying to trying to get a get a handle on um, what I'm trying to do or how, what's the best way to approach this text, and so that's why I'm letting you hear the hesitations because there are hesitations. I'm not going to try and I have actually got a text which I could read you and probably will so it sound more polished, but I want I, I want to make it clear that this is um, this this is a a. a a source and a material that I'm still struggling with in order in, in terms of how to how to read it and how to interpret it in a way that doesn't um, reduce its complexities and its fungibilities and its gaps and its duplicities um, in you know in, in trying to kind of come up with oh this is this is what happened in the debating society this is what it means for the college this is what it means for Oxford um, I want I want to draw attention to the fact that it may mean a number of things um, or not. <laughs> um, so 
let me move, let me move on from all of this sort of theoretical faffing around to talking about some of these people in particular. So one of them was Lala Hardayal, and I bring him up because um, he is again quite close to the time that Kafar is there. He's very hard to see here, um, but this is the only photograph we've been able to find where he's present. He is, if you can see my pointer, that's him over there. So he is at St. John's from 1905 to seven. This photograph was taken in 1906. Um, he's a member of the debating society. You don't hear you partly because I think the and, and again this is this is why it's so important who's recording it because in the case in the, the president at the time doesn't really record um, much detail in terms of how people are speaking because there isn't a uniformity of representation of records. People write in you know every term there's a different president or a different vice president, and the way in which the record is written is different. There's more detail or less detail, more description, less description. Um, in this case, all we know is that Hadeel spoke about the introduction of Chinese labor in South Africa. He was, he spoke against the introduction of Chinese labor in South Africa, and that's it. That's all we know. Um, he appears in a couple of other debates where he's just present, not what he's what he's represented as saying, he's not represented as, as speaking. But he is one of the first colonial figures, well, colonial students as they were known, um, to appear in the records, although he's not the first. Um, for those of you who don't know who Hardeal was, um, he's a really interesting figure in the history of, uh, particularly of um, the mobilization of um, anti-imperial opinion um, uh, among South, South Asian diaspora. And so when he was in, at St. John's, in fact, that's when he, um, he seems to have um, become very close to a man called Shamji Krishna Varma, who was at the time um, the, the assistant to the, well, soon after, sorry, this is the Bowdoin professor's, uh, Munya Williams is dead, who was the Bowdoin professor, but Shamji Krishna Varma was at Oxford as assistant to the Bowdoin professor of Sanskrit, um, who was Munya Williams. And then he goes on to London. Um, it's also at the, um, something that I, I know this because I've looked at the records of, of UCL, of University College London, that Chandra Krishna Varma almost was offered um, the Sanskrit professorship at UCL. Um, and it's a very strange and it's a very peculiar document because you have uh, a meeting of the committee where they talk about um, offering him the, the professorship um, and they decide to offer him the professorship. And then there's a red line through that. Um, and then in the on the next page, it says that it's um, it's been offered on a temporary basis to somebody else. And it's not clear what happens then. Um, and this is around the same time. So Lala Hadeal becomes um, close to Shamji Krishna Varma. There is, there is a suggestion in, in, in some of the records. We don't have very many records of him at St. John's. Um, but it, so it seems his wife came with him and she also was actually studying at Oxford at the same time. But Hadeal's... Um, uh, political opinions ripen at this point um, to, a, to a point where he feels no longer comfortable ideologically with accepting uh, the funding that he's getting. So he's on a government scholarship. He's clearly extremely an extremely brilliant Sanskrit, as well as uh, Sanskritist, as well as Shamji Krishna Varma. Um, and, but he, and he has a, a Bowdoin scholarship, as well as a Casper exhi uh, exhibition, which is a very prestigious um, prize uh, at St. John's, and a government scholarship from India. And he gives all of that up. And he leaves before he finishes his degree. 
um, and then he goes on, he goes to India, he goes to Paris, um, he's, and then he ends up um, in the US and California. I'm not going to get, go into that because it's a, you know, that's a, that's a whole other story. But um, it's interesting that you have figures here at St. John's, which is not really a college that is known for its um, radical networks or uh, very strong South Asian networks, but you have some really, um, some figures who are clearly involved in um, some um, um, interesting anti-colonial and then post-colonial ideas and, uh, and, uh, and also involvement in, in the empire in, and, and in the kind of um, intellectual development of empire. So Salvana Muttu, whom I mentioned, is one of them. Um, but in a different way, Nelson, and this is not, he's involved, and this is, this is so Nelson is a figure who comes from Demerara. And he um, is not, he's not the first black student at St. John's, that's Sanderson, whom you see here, who came in 1889. But Nelson is the first black student who is um, a member of the debating society. That's why we're interesting, interested in him that we know of. Um, but he's also president of the debating society. And not only is he president of the debating society, he then, he represents um, St. John's, he, he, he's, he's a member of the Oxford Union. Um, he represents St. John's in various intercollegiate debates. And then he represents Oxford at the Cambridge Union. And we know this because there are um, accounts of Nelson's speeches and his participation in the Oxford magazine, which is a student magazine that's founded um, in, the 18th, in the early 1880s. And they describe Nelson's speeches and his presence. His, Nelson's way of keeping records is also very um, characteristic, very strong, um, very um, eloquent. And he, um, is, um, he also has very strong opinions, but he rarely he is rarely involved in debates about empire. What does happen, however, is that you can see him develop um, a rhetoric, a developer voice and develop a, a, a kind of a clearly an expertise in language, in the language of debating, which seems to hold in, stand him in good stead when he moves on um, and becomes, he, he's called to the bar and he actually becomes a barrister in Manchester. So he never goes back to Guyana, he never goes back to Demerara. But his involvement, and when I say he's involved in empire, this is controversial because it's a question of whether you think England is part of empire or not. Um, but um, this is a time when in Manchester, there are um, a series of um, violent riots, um, which are um, provoked by um, white male workers against um, uh, black um, African workers who come to work in, in uh, in Manchester, in the <coughs> and uh, and there are these riots, and a number of these um, th these young black men are then um, arrested, and Nelson is involved in um, in arguing their case, and then eventually exonerating or, or getting some of them off, and it's quite a celebrated case. Nelson's also really unusual in having an entry in the uh, Oxford Dictionary of National Biography, which at this time uh, for a subject. Uh, from the empire is very unusual. Um, he's also involved in various other celebrated cases, um, including one um, case um, of murder um, where he's where he ends up uh, representing the murderer, I think. 
So he's, he's a really interesting figure. What's also interesting about him is that he's apparently very well integrated into kind of the, 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 the um, local life of Manchester. And when he dies, there's this very uh, elaborate funeral where all the local dignitaries and a number of people, including the, the police officer, uh, the local police chief, they all attend this funeral. So he, so they, in a sense, his participating in the debating society and in the college becomes a, a, a way for him to, um, to it, it contributes perhaps to his capacity to integrate himself into, um, into British society in ways that he may not otherwise have been able to do and to participate in um, fairly sort of controversial and potentially um, violent situations where he is able to um, argue in a way that um, in a way that makes him that 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 allows him to achieve a certain kind of success, and that capacity could also you could also say is honed by exactly this kind of environment. So there is there is a kind of an, an element of the debating society which is uh, which which could which is which is this sort of space where there is a kind of a performative equality or equitability that takes place. But it's also a space where people like Nelson have um, the opportunity to um, to subvert some of those some of the the, the kinds of structures um, that exist outside, possibly through um, systems of speaking and language and rhetoric that allow him to. Um, to be seen as, um, to be seen as as equal outside of the debating societies. That does that make sense? In the sense that he's able to carry out um, a kind of to, to carry to to can carry with him a kind of representation of the space that he's able to occupy within the debating society, and present it or mimic it in a different space. Um, he's able to carry it on outside. I don't know if that, I'm sorry, that's a very bad way of putting it, but but well, we can come back to it. But that's what I'm trying to say is that he's is that there is a there is that there is a possibility that the that the training that they get, that the skills that they get um, can be then used outside to um, reconstruct the kind of context that is created within the debating society, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you one more example. Um, and then I'll just talk about women and then I'll finish. Um, so Jepal Singh Munda um, came to St. John's um, in, I think this is his first year at St. John's, 19, no, 1923, he came to St. John's. So Jepal Singh Munda <coughs> was born in Bihar um, and he came from the, um, well, a, a Munda village. The Munda are uh, uh, an Adivasi a community that means a community of indigenous people, um, and he was um, he, he he was basically give, he was given a missionary education um, in Bihar, and then he was funded by the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel, which you may have heard of, which was based in Oxford, um, and which has quite strong connections with um, with the kind of history of uh, of empire and you know parts different parts of um, of or different parts of empire, well, connecting Oxford with different parts of empire, but including, for example, um, the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel was uh, instrumental 
in um, the, in the elections for the first Bowdoin professorship, which was the professorship of Oxford uh, of, of Sanskrit at Oxford, um, and which was the the elections were held in 1832, and the person who won was a man called Wilson, H.H. Um, Wilson, but the his opposer. Um, was put up by the Society of the Propagation of the Gospel. Um, and the reason for that was that it was understood, and that was in, indeed the uh, the plan that, that, that the man who founded the professorship had, a man called Joseph Bowden, that it was understood that, that teaching Sanskrit at Oxford would eventually help convert Indians um, to Christianity. Um, and so, um, so there are these very strong connections between Oxford um, and, and the SPG, and the sort of um, you know the wider the wider wider world of empire. Um, so Jaipal Singh Munda is sent here to Oxford in 1923 by the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel, um, and he then um, is at St John's and he becomes he is like Nelson he is a very um, he's a figure that participates very strongly in college life. Um, both as a sportsman. So Nelson was also a sportsman. The photograph that you saw there shows Nelson in the cricket 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 eleven. Um, and Jepal Singh Munda was a hockey player. In fact, he captained India to the Olympic Games uh, the, uh, in uh, Amsterdam um, and got them through a series of qualifying games. But then he had a, a disagreement with, the, uh, I think, the, the coach um, or the, man you know, the manager of the team who happened to be English, and then he left. But the, English, the Indian team actually won the hockey gold that year. So he was a very keen hockey player. He was also a very keen debater, um, and he was, um, and then he was president of the debating society. And like Nelson, he also has a very distinctive voice. Um, he is participates in a in uh, in a lot of debates, um, but he also records the debates that he is um, where, where he's chairing as president in again great minute detail um, with, a, with 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 a richness of comment. Um, and uh, and rhetoric and um, and and sort of a, a real kind of grasp on the arguments that are being that are being held uh, that are being uh, presented. So and then after his time at St John's, uh, Jaipal Singh um, joined the civil service. Then he didn't like it. He left. Um, he he then worked in Calcutta for a while, and then he took this job in Achimota. Um, then he went back to India, and he ended up becoming the um a member of the constituent assembly um and he was then uh the first president of the all india adivasi mahasabha um and what i'm going to do now is let you listen to i hope you can hear it i hope the sound will come through um actually i might do it on my phone because sometimes when i share you can't hear um you can't hear hear what I'm playing through um, through YouTube on the computer, so I'll play play it for you here. Sorry, add. Thank you for 
giving me out at, as representing the Aboriginal community of Chotanagpur. I wanted to say a few words to congratulate Dr. Rajendra Prasad, especially on behalf of the tribal members of this Constituent Assembly. So far as I have been able to count, we are only five. We are millions and millions, and we are the real owners of India. It has recently become the fashion to talk of quit India. I do hope this is only a stage for the rehabilitation, for the resettlement of the real people of India. Let the British quit, then after that, all the later comers, later intruders quit. Then they will be left behind only the Aboriginal people of India. We are indeed very glad that we have Dr. Rajendra Prasad to be the permanent chairman of this assembly. We tribals feel that as he belongs to a province where there is in the southern portion of it the most compact Aboriginal area in the whole of India perhaps, that we in presenting our case will at least get a sympathetic hearing from him. I do not wish to say. So if you listen to that, you can see how he's making this very, very radical uh, argument for um, for Adivasi rights, um, using a language and a rhetoric that is very familiar to anybody who's been to a debate at Oxford. Um, the whole, the way that he presents it, the um, the, uh, the, um, the tone of voice that he uses, the accent um, of the speech. It's um, it's remarkably reminiscent, and I think that that's that's what I'm trying to get at when I talk about the capacity about kind of you being able to use these tools that are given to them temporarily, or or, or they have access to temporarily to then recreate that space and be able to do quite radical things with it. Um, so that's Jaipal Singh, and and then what I want to say about Jaipal Singh now is to connect, to connect this with this kind of point I want to make about women. So Jaipal Singh. Um, is um, one of the, one of the, and, and the reason, uh, so the connection here is that Jepal Singh basically uh, records, he's, he's the president at one point when there is a debate with, um, I, th I think it's a debate with, with Somerville College. Now, in that debate, um, there is, um, there is, they, they are invited to Somerville and they go to debate with Somerville and um, he records that, first of all, he says, I wish, you know, that he wants to put it on record that um, the topic of debate um, was selected by their hosts and not by them. He's clearly, clearly wishes to distance himself from this selection of the topic, which happens to be um, that um, intellectual harmony between partners is more, it's something I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, intellectual harmony is more important than physical attractiveness when choosing a marital partner. Um, and then this, 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 then this debate takes place, which is um, remarkably, um, it, it, you know, has very strong overtones of, um, of, of um, a kind of, you know, talking quite well overtones. It is it is very directly talking about sexual relations and um, and interactions between men and women um, in ways that are extremely blunt and forthright about um, women choosing you know their partners and on what basis they choose their partners and on what basis they'd like to be selected. And it's clearly because obviously all of this is being written down by Jaipal Singh and he's clearly not comfortable with the with the tone of this debate. Um, and he also 
says that um, he wishes to make it clear that the committee, that the St. John's College Committee uh, unanimously uh, refused to take this topic and that he persuaded them that this was what they had to do because the hosts had chosen the topic. Um, and further, that he was, and, he, and he's, he's very clearly disapproving when he says this, that um, that the women's, the, 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 the Somerville society had made it clear that they did not wish to engage in any political discussion. So what I wanted to talk about now, um, very quickly before I kind of close, kind of you know, try and wrap up, is that there is a very clear distinction between the way in which um, debates are held between men and men in the space and debates are held when women start to enter the space. And this starts to happen very late for St. John's. So when women's colleges are founded, uh, are started in, in, in Oxford from the late 19th century, um, they start to have their own debating societies. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of writing about women in debating societies and um, in not just in Oxford, but in other universities and schoolgirl debating societies, et cetera. And there is clearly part of the reason for this is because women want to participate in public life and they want to, they want to discuss politics. But at the same time, there's this very curious tension um, where it seems that there is a reluctance to discuss political, political subjects when they enter this kind of male homosocial space. And it's not clear to me why that should be so, whether they feel disabled in some way or whether they feel that, 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 um, that there isn't the kind of equitability that I've been trying to frame or trying to kind of represent um, with, um, with all these other men who are after all men. Um, taking part in the debate. So Somerville, for example, had three debating societies, um, the, the, the Tub Thumpers, um, the and Parliament and Sharp Practice. So there were three kinds of debating societies. There was also an Oxford Student Debating Society, which is which only women's colleges, all, men, all debating societies were women's colleges. And there were accounts of these published um, of the debates that were held. St. John's was very slow to invite women um, the, one of the last debates in 1914, on the eve of the war, um, is uh, is the debate about whether or not they should uh, uh, they should invite the debating society of Lady Margaret Hall um, to attend to to take part in a, a debate with St John's, and they are almost unanimously against it. The result is almost unanimously no. And then the debating society breaks off during for the course of the war from about 1915. In 1919, they reconvene. And one of the first debates, in fact, I think it is the first debate, is about whether or not they should invite LMH to, the, to St. John's to have a debate, and it's almost unanimously yes. So there is a process that happens over the course of the war where, obviously, and we know this, we know that there are changes that happen in the First World War, and, and suddenly women are, then are able to, to enter the space. But all of the debates that are held with women, um, none of them are about, about empire, our international politics, or even about sort of other kinds of political considerations. So the St. John's College Debating Society discusses empire. Um, and there are many, many debates about empire. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't actually get a chance to say this. Um, and you know, you can ask me about it in questions. But um, particularly from the 1870s, there are debates about um, um, about Britain's South African um, ambitions. There are debates about um, also about um, vying with other European powers. Um, um, in, in Africa. So there is a debate, for example, about um, what is called the ultimatum to Portugal, um, which, was, which is about Portuguese ambitions in Africa, which uh, there, is, there is an argument to say that that 
um, is, is the ultimatum that uh, basically Britain gives to Portugal to stop them is um, is is a result of a plea, a special plea made by by Cecil Rhodes. Um, so there, you know, there's a debate about that. There's a debate about um, about the annexation of Burma. There's a debate about um, the Anglo-Egyptian um, uh, financial uh, sort of takeover. You know, the the, the, the whether or not in Britain, uh, sorry. Uh, Britain and France should take over the financial affairs of Egypt. They think that they should. And there's also, as we get to the end of the 19th century, uh, a lot of interest in, in what's happening in Ireland. And of course, most of these debates do end up siding, you know, very much on the side of, um, of, the, of keeping the status quo. Um, there is a very strong interest in maintaining Britain's, um, not just Britain's power and Britain's sort of uh, presence in the empire, but also uh, a, a clear identification of a kind of uh, cultural exceptionalism, a cultural kind of national identity uh, with uh, this sort of idea of Britain as imperial power. So, you know, that somehow that, that that kind of notion of uh, being English is tied up with, um, with being present in the empire. Um, but when, when and, 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 so, and these debates continue, um, into the 1930s um, and after, but where there are debates with women, they never, they, they are, empires never discussed. And most of the debates with women is about things that might be supposed to, supposed to interest women. So they're about suffrag suffragettes, uh, they're about women's votes, about women's higher education, about women's role in society and marriage and so on. And then about general things like literature and novels and whether novels are corrupting to the morals of society and that kind of thing. The other thing that I want to quickly say, have I kind of gone past the 45 minutes now, Sylvia? Uh, yes, but that's okay, feel, feel free to... Okay, I just want to make two more points, which is that um, the, other, the other case that could be looked at um, in, in terms of who, you know, who enters the space is when St. John starts debating with Ruskin College. So Ruskin College is founded at the end of the 19th century and is founded specifically as a working men's college in order to provide education to a wider range of people beyond the elite in Oxford. Um, and um, Sidney Ball, who was uh, first a philosophy professor and then uh, the senior tutor at St. John's, um, is quite a strong supporter of this college. And so there are several, several debates with Ruskin um, and then again, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see how uh, empire is very rarely discussed, actually never discussed, and the debates are often, are always about, um, about things that might be supposed to, uh, to be of relevance to socially and economically disadvantaged men, i.e. the men of Ruskin College. And so again, um, there seems to be a difference in terms of the range of possibilities um, of discussion when you get these intersections um, of, of, of men of, of other classes or other backgrounds and women. Um, <coughs> um, I think I'm going, to, I'm going to stop there. The last thing I do want to say, and I'm just going to throw this in there and then we can talk about this, is that one of the things I thought about in terms of framing this um, is, if, I don't know if you've ever heard of the concept uh, of, the, the, of a paper called, um, I think it's, it's called Art of the Contact Zone by Mary Louise Pratt. So she's so Mary Louise Pratt talks about the contact zone in various uh, in various papers. But essentially, she's a she's a scholar of early modern Mexico, Hispanic Mexico. But she, her argument is that um, is that there are these spaces of interaction, such as early modern Hispanic Mexico, where there is where there is an, what she calls an imperial contact zone, 
um, which is an interaction that takes place in a space that is uh, specifically politically and politically and economically unequal. And, and yet that that space offers the possibility of subversions um, and, and that these, and this subversion is one of the arts of the contact zone. Um, and so that is one of the ways in which um, I'm wondering whether it's possible to frame this kind of space. So I'll stop there.